Hello, sales heroes. Before we dive into this week's interview with the incredible Jane Salerson, I wanted to let you know that I will be speaking at the Spring Conference for the National Investment Center, NIC, on March 24th in Dallas. I'll be joining an expert panel to highlight one of the most talked about trends in senior living, which is active adult. You can find out more at www.nic.org. Okay, now to this week's guest, who is someone I respect immensely as an industry leader and a good friend, Jane Salerson. She is the Chief Operating Officer for Charter Senior Living. She has been an influential figure in the industry for decades, and I've even had the honor of working with her in the early days of Sherpa. I call her my sister. If I had a sister, I wish it would be her. We discuss how things have changed for the better since we both began in the industry, what we've seen works for sales and what doesn't, and how people can do more than just talk about relationship-based selling, but actually make it a part of their sales culture. So let's get started. One of the reasons I'm so excited to have you is that you, you're a big picture kind of a woman. You really see the big picture like nobody's business. So, hey, t- you, t- no, you're welcome. It's well-deserved. So tell me about how the hell did you get into this industry? I mean, you have such a long story. <laughs> Make yeah. the long you story. Have like nine hours. Um, go yeah. for it. No. So uh, I actually stumbled upon this industry. I was I was working for a uh, group purchasing organization and my job was to go to assisted livings and nursing homes and, and try to get them to utilize my contracts. And I happened to cold call on a assisted living and uh, met an executive director who actually signed up with me. So I guess I was doing an okay job selling. And uh, I met a regional director of operations through that. And about a month later, I got a call that said, hey, we're looking for a regional director of sales. Would you be interested in that? And I said, yeah, I guess so. I said, I've never really sold assisted living, but I guess I can figure it out. And that's how I, I got into the, the business. I just kind of stumbled upon it. And that was about 24 years ago. So it looks a little different now huh, than it did back then, the industry. Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, when, when I first got in the industry, no one really knew what assisted living was. So you spent a lot of time educating, right? Because they didn't even mm-hmm. understand. And that were the days when they used to tell you, don't give out your price sheets because mm-hmm. of sticker shock. So they would say, don't give out your price sheets, which now I think back and say, how dumb was that? And how frustrating that is for customers not to get the price sheet. If you think of the, the where we're all the sales philosophy came from in assisted living, it really all came from nursing home and, and rehabs, right? Mm-hmm. That's most of the people that started came from that industry. So they, they, they taught you to sell the way that you would sell a, a you know, a nursing home or a rehab and, a, you know, the old feature benefits and transactional and, um, uh, you know, you, they, they say something, you give them the benefit. They say something, you give them the benefit. So um, it's, it's definitely changed. But I was thinking about this uh, to say, I think more people talk about relationship building, how important it is to build trust and, and relationships, but they still are using transactional theory behind it, right? Go make those 45 calls. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and go, go do 27 outreach calls and it's going to generate this and it's going to generate that. And so they're still using a lot of that, even though they call it relationship building. You're exactly right. I want to ask you more about that because, yeah, we talk out of both sides of our mouths. It seems like, oh, yeah, we know that creating connection and a relationship that's based on, on trust and connection with our prospects. Everybody says, oh, yeah, yeah, we do that. We lo- That makes sense, right? Because nobody wants to admit that we're not doing that, you know, because, <laughs> you know, our mission statements say it's all that we care. We're here to create vibrant communities and our residents are this and that and whatever. And then when it comes to sales, that is what I continue to see. Oh, yeah, we use this method, however... 
when it comes to the, the actual data, it doesn't reflect it at all. I have my own theories about why that is. Um, but you said something, you said they don't really believe in it. They still believe that a transactional volume velocity approach is the way to go. And that somehow that is actually congruent with building relationships with people. How do those two things gel together? Because they don't. Right, right. No, you're absolutely right. And I mean, I was the biggest proponent of transactional sales when we first met. I was a proponent, right? I believed in if you made so many phone calls and you, it would generate X amount of tours and based on your conversions. And, and that, you know, when I had an opportunity to watch David Smith and I remember to that day sitting back at, at a conference and thinking to myself, oh my God, I've been doing it wrong for all this time. And that's when I really became passionate about prospect-centered selling. But Jane, how did some, something that David say in, at a conference gave you that insight? Because, you know, when we invest so much in being experts at something, and then someone comes along and says, you're wrong, it takes a certain amount of curiosity, imagination, uh, passion, to actually say, you know, what I believed was wrong. And that's one of the things that I mostly admired about you, this capacity to say, I just saw something better and I'm going to try it. That's exactly, I I said, he's doing something different, right? He's doing home visits. 15 years ago, no one was doing home visits, Mm -hmm. right? More people are doing home visits now. So he was doing things differently and understanding the stage of readiness, right? Where are you in the the stage of being ready to even not just hot, warm or cold? And I remember the story of, of, you know, what's a hot lead? What's a warm lead? No one can tell you the difference. Everyone tells you something's different. So, you know, it was interesting. Wait, warm is, now hot is hot because they got an urgency. Warm is is neither hot nor cold. And then cold is is not interested. Cold is not interested. I don't have a chance in hell to close this person because they're not ready. So warm is somewhere like, I'm not sure. The hardest thing for me was understanding or having the comfort level when I transitioned to to prospect-centered selling, having the comfort level to say to a a, uh, prospect, how can I help you stay at home? Mm-hmm. And I can remember having these discussions with David to say, why would I do that? I want them to move in. He's like, they're not moving right now. They're not ready to move. And that was probably the hardest part of making the transition of really going in and having the confidence to do that. Right? Letting go yeah. of that. And you had sort of, was there a story there that I remember about driving? That was my mom, you know, in prospects and selling, you know, you talk about go with the skid, right? Align with them, go with them, right? Don't keep trying to convince them, right? That to do this. And my my mom and, and her husband had a car and they weren't driving anymore, but they had this car and they're paying for the car and they're paying for insurance. And for months and months and months, I just kept saying, get rid of the car. You don't need the car. And they gave me every reason why they should keep the car. Right. Oh, I, I want to come and visit you. And I'm thinking they never drive to my house and they just kept giving me the reason. So I remember venting that to David and, and David just said, go with the skid. Just go with the skid. Don't battle them. Just go with the skid with them. So, you know, just align with them. Tell them. So that night I went in and uh, they actually brought up the car and I, I, I could see them tensing up like ready for the battle with me. And I just totally changed the paradigm. And I said, you know, I was thinking about the car and I know how important that car is to you. So, you know what, keep the car. I want you to feel comfortable that you have the ability to go wherever you need to go and whenever you need to not have to schedule a car or, or schedule a bus trip or whatever. And uh, they just stopped in their tracks. Because they didn't know, like, it was so opposite of what I would normally have done. My mother's husband said, well, we've been thinking about it. And, you know, it does cost 
extra for the insurance. And I said, well, it's all right. But if it's going to, I just kept going with it. If it's going to, you know, really make you feel comfortable, I'd rather have you have the car. Well, my license says handicapped, but my, my driver's license doesn't. So I'm doing something illegal. And I said, <laughs> well, that's all right. I'll take it to the, to the registry, the car registry, and we'll get you the correct license. Well, and then literally, I'm, 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 I'm not kidding. This is a true story. By the next day, that car was sold. Mm, and it amazing. was just me not trying to convince them. And that's where all our, our prospects are. Right. Yeah. Trying to convince yes. them. No, where you you can't because because um, it's just too. I mean, you could convince me of buying a certain brand of shampoo or something inconsequential, but something like this, um, there is no convincing, especially when there's so much, you know, ambivalent stuff and so much, so much emotional stuff. And, you know, we had, can't even imagine, but to your point, I mean, resistance, it's funny. I just, I just learned this in, in physics, resistance only happens when you push someone. If there is no pushing, there is no resistance. We are causing the resistance. You said they tensed up when they brought up the car ready for the fight, right? Yeah. And, you know, prospects are the same way. They, they call us and they tend, they're already tense because they know they're going to be sold. And so they have all this fear and they're just very kind of cagey about the information they share. And especially, you know, when we go on a rant about our, we have, we have, we have. So it works so beautifully. And, and, and so you made that shift. Now you were EVP of sales and marketing, was it at Emeritus and, and mm -hmm. you had an incredible career in sales and marketing in large organizations, you know, and then you made this shift and then what happened? Well, you know, what was interesting was we started going out and we taught the regionals how to do just a case study, right? How to do a case study. Mm -hmm. And what we found was we could go in nine times out of 10, we would model a case study and they would close that sale like a week later. Some people may not know what a case study is. You so a, a case study is really looking at the prospect and really um, stepping back and, and looking at what do we know? What do we don't know? Right. What, could, what are other questions we can ask? You know, it's so interesting. You say, well, what do we know about their life? Well, they live alone. Well, that's all we know. They live alone. Like, did they have a career? Did, are they, do they have kids? Do, what do we know? So you kind of go through that. You can go online. You really find a lot of things online about the person's legacy, their life. I just did a case study just this past week, believe it or not, at one of our communities. And this guy goes to this, club it's some type of membership club in in the town and has breakfast there every monday so we go oh that's interesting i wonder why he goes and he's this member of this club well we googled his name and it turned out he that he was in the paper he had been a member for 60 years and they showed him getting like this award for being a member for 60 years so we had a great creative follow-up, right? To say what we can do as this follow-up to him. But it's really just organically looking at this, this prospect and saying, how do we get them and move them forward, right? Mm -hmm. are, you know, where are they in the, are they totally in denial? Are they kind of thinking, but they want to stay at home, but they know it's hard for them at home. Where are they? And then how do we develop an action plan rather than just doing a, follow-up call yeah let's just call to see how he's doing in a month hopefully they'll you know fell down broke a hip and now they're ready yeah, i mean exactly that, and i don't mean that we hope for that but i mean that that's a default right let's you, just you wait know the and beauty i love the, the part of sherpa where i can see you know on one little snapshot what have we done with this prospect right have we done a creative follow-up have we done a home visit have we done a case study and i crack up when you go You've called this person 99 times. Do you think the hundredth call is going to do it? <laughs> Something's not working here. Something's not working. But don't so, you think we're just waiting? We're just mostly reactive waiting for, since we don't believe we can actually help that person inspire to get themselves ready. 
we don't believe or we're not investing the time to plan, to have conversations, to, to, to validate where they're at, to, to generate small advances. That takes time and that takes training and that takes a lot more than just howdy-doody calls to your point about, oh yeah, we believe in relationship building, but you got to make 20 calls today. And so basically I think what happens is that we just completely orphaned the sales process and we only are looking for the urgent ones and the ones that are present some resistance caused by our kind of sales and the ones that present the, obviously I'm not ready yet. We don't know what to do with, and therefore we move on. And what you're saying is take the time, right? To invest in figuring out how do we creatively follow up? And by that means this gentleman you mentioned, how do we honor this legacy? How do we show them that what we're interested in is in him being himself and that he's not going to lose his identity by moving, that he's not. I think we have this industry that grew out of, and I've said this before, we, we sell shelter and care, shelter and care, the apartment and the care, the apartment and the care. And we're really what people, the majority of people are looking for. Yeah, they may need, obviously, the apartment and they may need care support. But what they're really looking for, Jane, I think, is a place of belonging, a place where they can preserve their identity, that they can still be and be honored by who they were. And that starts in the sales process, right? Absolutely. And this was a great example of this guy was very resistant. He had four kids, the four kids all want him to move. And he's like, I'm not moving. And the son was like, he yelled at me. And I'm like, you know, we've got to, one, explain to the son what their father's going through right now. And that we could help by allowing us to go to his home and get to know him, you know, and, and not sell him, but just really get to know who he is and bring him that great picture we found of him getting his award, but they got to understand the why behind it. Right. Mm. So what I have found in my careers and, and I was at Emeritus and, you know, I went to another company before I went to, you know, to uh, became a partner in charter. I brought in two things that most people aren't doing. They're not talking to the actual prospect. They're talking to the adult child who all want you to move. That's why they're calling. So even when, when I first went in, I would always say, have you talked to the prospect? Let's mm-hmm. the senior, because they're the ones that are either going to put the brakes on or not put the brakes on. So that's one of the things. And I think the other thing is what I've seen in the most successful salespeople that do it is you're always going to get those low hanging fruit. If you have a good personality and you just connect and you're responsive to the customer, they're ready. You're always going to get those. So how do you get the incremental sale? How do you get when this building, if your building averages five move-ins a month, how do you get to seven a month? Because that's what's going to fill you. And to get to that seven inch, you got to work those other leads deeper, right? You can't work 400 of them, but pick 10, pick 20. These are the guys I'm not going to let go because they're just not ready, but I know they need us. I know the family wants them here. So work those strategically and those all of a sudden pop for you right that didn't want to move two months ago but now all of a sudden they want to move because maybe something scared them Mm -hmm. now they're ready to do it you are a partner at charter very successful company growing like crazy and here you are doing case studies which i just love you for i wanted you to talk about how do you operationalize this what are the gains? You know, what are the pains and the gains? If you're motivated, if you really believe that this is what you want, you're going to have to put the work uh, to see the results, sustainable results, to cement yeah. a culture. And, and it's, that's it's, something. It's the language, right? It's the first thing. So, how did thing, you do it? Well, I mean, the first thing was um, is, is getting the language, right? Um, getting the language consistent. Whenever I brought it in, I brought it into two, three companies now, right? At Emeritus, it was three Sherpa days. So it was harder for us to make it stick because we didn't have a tool to to manage it and measure it. I can't scale it. How do do I scale it? 
So now that there's Sherpa, you know, that gives you one kind of way of saying, okay, this is the culture that we're going to have. And this is a tool that supports that culture. That was a key. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, that was the first thing I did it. Two other companies was brought in Sherpa because I believe that it gives us the ability to measure things very differently than, than other CRMs. So that's one. Number two is it was getting the language consistent, having everybody talk about it. So when you say case study, people know what that means. When you say a creative follow-up, they know what that means. Or they know time in the selling zone. I mean, I have an opportunity to hear Sylvia, you know, who's a sales coach for us, and she's coaching people every day. And I hear her on the phone and I hear people talking about time in the selling zone all the time. So um, I know it's in there. I think the challenge becomes, and it depends how big your company is, you got to get your regionals to really understand it and live it and breathe it. And then they do it and understand and breathe it. And they get the aha, the same thing that happened to me, right? I go, oh my God, you're right. And then they start penetrating it into the communities, right? And, and talking about it in the communities and pulling up and saying, what else could we do? And What about your executive directors? The executive directors are harder because they still go back to the whole transactional thing, right? Some are better than others. I mean, I've been to some stand-ups in the morning that the executive director is great on a, on a case study. Like they totally are like, oh, how about if we do that? Or what, what about this? We know about this. So they, they kind of have done that. But it takes time and it takes the regionals. And I really encourage, and the reason why you kind of laugh and said, here you are, you know, the COO of the company doing a case study is because I think it's important that the whole team sees what it means to do a case study. And so anytime I'm in a community, I will try to do a case study if I can. And I encourage the regional salespeople to do the same thing. You know, uh, I, I really encourage them to do the same thing because they're just training if they do that. Plus, you end up getting a sale out of it half the time. Yeah, that's always nice <laughs> for both for, for your operations. And it's also so nice for the prospect that and was stuck before. And then you're measuring, you know, the, the, the ability to say, yeah, are you spending time in the selling zone, which we do measure. And number one and number two is what are you doing in the selling zone? Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, if, with if that not, time. Right. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Are you just doing call outs and emails or are you really, truly doing some case studies? Are you really, truly doing creative follow-up? So funny. I, I just heard uh, Sylvia coaching someone and she said, oh, what are you doing for creative follow-ups? And she says, well, I have three move-ins coming and um, I'm going to do these creative follow-ups for the move-ins. She goes, well, that's kind of an operational thing, right? You already got it. It's like, that's truly not a creative follow-up. Creative follow-ups are related to the prospects, not people that are already committed, they're depositive, and then they're moving in next week. You're, you're right. And just let me say, you know, once the person said yes and they're moving in, now we have this incredible comfort level. And part of the reason sometimes that we can't, you know, it's if you think of a salesperson as a, the surgeon, I think we, we talked about this before, Jane, and, and you're there to perform the surgery And then you have a whole team, operational team, you know, afterwards and marketing team before to do the cleanup and you've done the life-saving surgery and now it's, it's time to do life-saving surgery on someone else. When someone's already out of, out of the operating room and have already succeeded to saying yes, the hardest part, which is making that decision, we need to let, let go, but we love to spend time there and more time. For, for a lot of reasons, some very good, appropriate reasons, but then that's better delegated to someone in operations, right? Because you want to maximize time in the selling zone. After the sale, it's important, of course, to let go. And many salespeople, you know, they just, they just love to keep going because now they love me. Now they've, you know, so, so there's, there's sort of mixed intentions there, but it's so important to redirect to... Yeah. 
you know, the, the, the surgery part. We are an industry, and, and I discuss this a lot in other podcasts, that really focus on marketing as solving all the occupancy problems. You know, if we have low occupancies, we need more leads and more tours so that we can find more of those people that are ready to go. That's kind of madness. And we don't really say, let's invest in the leads that we have. And most of us pretty much have enough leads. I'm not saying everyone does, but most of us do that are resistant and they're not ready. So they're not quote unquote good. But what would happen if we invested in or shifted some of those marketing dollars to selling, selling resources, selling training, putting another FTE in, in a building to actually help drive time in the selling zone. Why isn't our industry investing in sales? What do you think about that? You know, there's always going to be this, I need, you know, fresh leads coming in. And, and sure. you know, with the, with the age of people being on the computer now and, and searching, you know, uh, you know, when we were starting, it was the yellow pages, right? You didn't have, you said, here's my yellow pages. And you did an mm-hmm. ad occasionally. But now with, with online stuff, you have to invest to make sure that you're at least being found, right? To get some leads. I think the second thing is not only just getting your name out there, but it's also, you want to try to get qualified leads, right? Because you spend time with all the referral agencies, you spend a lot of money on referral agencies that outbeat Mm -hmm. you all the time on pay-per-click anyway. I think there's such great tools out there now that you can lead nurture right? Mm -hmm. With all the automation and they get a newsletter, they get this every month or whatever. That's, that was much more than we had 20 years ago. So you get the beauty of that automation, which is great because it does kind of keep things going while you're working those 20 or 30 leads really going down deep. I mean, for, for us, we put in our budgets, a creative follow-up budget. Do you find that people actually, because that's brilliant. That's brilliant, Jane. And we used to do that as well. And we had a hard time having people spend it. I know. And, and I always say that's the one spot that you don't want to not spend, right? Spend that because that's invested in your customer. That's you so know? cool. That's so uh, cool. You know, and creative follow-ups don't always have to be super expensive. I don't know if I ever told you the story about this, but when I was with Sherpa, I had to sell to a COO. And I found out that the uh, COO, I went online and I looked, she really loved the Boston Bruins and, and she'd go to the games with her kids, her son. So I found this little tiny, like, I don't know, it's like a little tiny uh, uh, hockey stick and that I could customize. I put a picture of her and her son on it and said Boston Bruins. And I gave it to her because, or I had it sent after I, I had met with her. and. Uh, Never thought anything about it again. But when I went to see her, it was up on the wall. So I just never said anything. And then probably about a year or maybe two years ago, and this is way after I left, right? She said, hey, would you mind if I used your example of what a good creative follow-up is (laughs) to train her people? That's crazy. I think the other thing is what people haven't done and we haven't done a great job at it either we really need to get to the next level is we should be doing that exactly what we're doing for prospect centered selling to our referral sources yeah there's no reason why we're not doing a case study on a referral source especially ones that they all claim you can't get in and all that and we should be doing creative follow-ups for them as well something different i suggest that we should we're asking our regionals, you you talked about the importance of the regional and understanding how they need to actually get it and and keep sort of reproducing it. But I'm thinking that we need to empower regionals to do creative follow-ups for their salespeople. Yep. So that they feel it, so that they can feel it you know, and, and I think that's so important in when we talk about what is the role of the regional, it used to be the role of the regional was to come down and the salespeople say, what did you do? You know, how many did you get this month? How many did you do? So basically extract all this data out of the salespeople 
that got all nervous. Okay, here comes the regional and I need to look good and talk, talk about my move-ins. And then they would report up, you know, yeah. and it was just extracting and reporting up. I'd like to see that change. I don't know. Tell me what you're doing about that. Well, I encourage that all the time. And uh, as I mentioned, you know, we have a sales coach who's actually, Sylvia was one of the beta testers for Sherpa years ago, which is interesting, but she was coaching someone who was a little more resistant on understanding the importance and why we do what we do. And, you know, I said to Sylvia, what does she love to do? Send her a creative follow-up. So she sent her something. And, uh, and this salesperson called her immediately and was in tears and said, oh my God, that was so thoughtful of you. And it meant so much. And I can't believe you, you knew that I liked whatever. And uh, Sylvia said, I know, imagine if, what it makes your prospect feel if you did the same thing for her. Mm. And it finally went, I get it. But it is very experiential. You have to, they have to experience the, what it feels like to get what something it, special. Which is really, what does it feel like when someone sees us, when someone sees beyond just a generic and sees us for our uniqueness and takes the time to, to show us that they see us. You know, someone gave me a, a coffee cup that says, be curious. And, and I love it because this Alex, you strike me as a curious. So little things that someone yep. might notice about you, that you, that are important to you and your identity. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And it doesn't matter if it's your a, a prospect, a referral source, that little thing will always be remembered. You always. Know, when, when I was at Emeritus, we had 500 properties. I had salespeople calling me every day. And all of a sudden, I get a FedEx box sent to me. Now, of course, I'm curious. I'm like, Ooh, what's that? And I opened up the box and in it was uh, a little gift. And inside it just said, hey, I, I thought Henry, your pub would really enjoy this. And it was like a bone and some stuff. And uh, I, I know that the, the Patriots are your love and blah, blah, blah. But he never said anything else. He didn't say would love your biz, nothing else. And I looked at it. I go, well, this is interesting. How does he know I have a dog named Henry? And I was so curious that I actually called him. And um, he, he ended up, uh, he told me he knew someone who knew me. So he had talked to someone who knew me and got this information. And guess what? We did business with him. Yeah. You know, I mean, he got my attention. It was different than what every other salesperson was banging on the door and telling me how much they're going to save me. And yeah. it was it was just different. And it's the same thing with our prospects. They're all I am telling you, we all know this. And I do mystery shopping all the time. If we're looking into a market, I'll shop a market. Everyone says the same thing. And no one takes the time to ask about you. Yeah. In 25 years, one person, and I usually tell a story, I'm moving my mom, she's already in assisted living. And one time, executive director looked at me and said, wow, you're doing a lot of stuff. You're moving here. You got to move your mother. You got to, you know, find a new place. How are you doing? <laughs> and that stood out to you. The most, that stood the most, out. The most compassionate, normal, normal you know, thing human was response to yeah. another person. How are you doing? How are you doing? That's what David always says. You know, how do you answer the phone? Hi, how are, you know, I'm Alex. How are you doing? You yeah. know, how I are mean, you doing? It's a, it's a great but question. If, if but I but genuinely. And generally, she really just looked at me and said, how are you doing with all this? And, wow. you know, if I was a customer, a true customer, and I went to five places, I'm going to remember the person that actually cared about me. You know, ultimately, you're trying to pick a place to go live or to have a loved one go live. And, and what do you really want to know? Yeah, the pricing and the square footage and all of that, you can find that out. But you want to know is, do these people care about the person, care about my mother, care about who she is? And, and there's no other place 
that you can communicate that better or, or the better starting point that in sales, because that's what people are looking for. Not can you care for my mother? Can you right. care about my mother? Do you care about me? Do you care about, about the struggle that I'm going through? Do you honor that? Do you validate that? And it is my dream that before I die, that our industry has completely shifted the way that we connect with, speak to, the way that we train our people to have that empathic, curious, creative, and relentless um, approach to helping people solve their problems. The challenge is that I see is there are more and more uh, uh, developers getting into the business. There's private equity firms that want to buy buildings. They, they start a management company and they hire people that were never in the industry, right? So I just spoke to someone who their VP of sales had never sold in our industry at all. So doesn't really understand the journey of what a customer goes through. And I, mm. I find that really hard to see that that could work, right? Yeah. With someone who's never really sat in the seat. And I'm not saying, you know, you had to be there and work for 20 years in a, in a building, but at least have some experience of what, what is it like and what objections do you get and, and understand why you really need to do this different type of selling. You can't but, just bring in your selling, your spin selling. Oh, right? you're selling, yeah, for something else. I completely agree. And that's happening. So it's interesting because from a marketing perspective, someone that's trying to come into an industry, any industry, I mean, the first thing you do if you're a newbie, and to your point, you don't need all the experience. You just need the a learner's mind. You need to understand what you don't know. And, right. and many people get hired and they try to bring their expertise from somewhere else. And, you know, and that's not to say that everybody in our industry with 25 years of experience Correct. is doing the right thing, because sometimes they're doing. So anyway, it's, it's a continuous learning. But the point I'm trying to make is if we become really curious about in any industry that we're new at, who is the market? You know, our market is an older adult and their families, right? That's the market. That's the customer. What is it that you, anybody that comes into this industry uh, with a lot of development money behind them, what do they need to do to align with that customer to make sure from marketing to sales to operations that they know that customer really, really well, including their journey through a decision-making process? What does it feel like, uh, you know, psychologically, emotionally, financially? And, and that's available. You can study that. It's, it's there. There's just science. There's research. There's that book, How to Say it to Seniors, Seniors Developmental yeah. Stages. We are learning a lot about aging right now. And why not do that? Even people in our industry, when you say, what's your market? They'll talk about a geographic area. Oh, I'm in the Southwest region of, no, your market is the older adult. Study them know them and you know them individually and as a group you know you know the common human experience that we go through when contemplating this change of this magnitude and the family dynamics and all that stuff and that takes experience sometimes and that also takes some studying and that means not try to figure out how to push their buttons or convince them and find more of the people because we have enough people in the market and we're only capturing 10%, maybe 15 now. I don't know. I have no idea what the capture rates oh, yes. are 10 today. To 15%, I mean, which is pretty sad if you think about that. Right. It is you know? so sad. And why? Because again, I don't know why. I and mean, there's so many reasons, but the shelter and care. And so if somebody's coming in from Mars or from another industry, let's say, okay, maybe we can we can play this game, Jane. Let's say now that I am a big developer and I'm trying to put a bunch of money now. I hear that senior living is, you know, obviously a great thing, maybe active adult, maybe whatever. 
you know, and I'm putting a lot, investing a lot of money. What would you tell that new hire? What would you recommend to them in terms of getting it right? The building itself or the operations? The operations, both Uh, in... I, yeah, would, the operations. I would really reinforce the importance of the sales culture more than everything else. And when people say sales culture, they, they tend to go back to everybody's in sales. That's, oh. that's not a sales culture, right? Everybody's in sales. What yeah, does that even mean? <laughs> yeah. You know, so you're walking around and, you know, everyone introduces themselves or all, all those things, but it's really about the sales process, right? And, and, and the approach that you take and how important anytime I am pitching to a potential partner or a developer or whatever, I always include snippets of of Sherpa and the why behind what we do and our unique selling approach to prospect-centered selling, right? To Mm -hmm. get better conversions and uh, better management of your people. Um, you know, we talked about the regionals, the regionals, you're so right. And, and the last thing I ever want regionals to do is go in and, and just point fingers on what they're doing wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. I say to the regionals, your main job is coaching and modeling. That's your job. Not like doing all the other things that we all love to do, right? We're at a building and walk through the building and do rent ready rooms and all that. It's really about on every single visit you're doing with a, with a building, you've got to be coaching and modeling, whether it's prospect, a case study, whether it's let's go on and do a home visit together, let's practice calling this person and what kind of questions would you have been able to reach them? That's their job. And I get agita when I find out when we have a building that's not doing well. And then I say, well, when's the last time you went on a tour with the person? And the, and I get, you know, crickets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, how can you even help this person when you've never even been on a tour with them? So it's really a lot of hands-on approach. And so that's how it goes back to what I was saying before. How, that's how it permeates, right? Into the buildings, your culture of prospect center selling is because you're modeling and teaching it while you're there, you know? And you as, as, as the leader... Um, and, and all leaders in the company, and then the regionals being the sales leaders, uh, drive that culture and continue to contribute to it because it's, it's what it takes. I mean, there's just no other way, no magic It won't pill. stick if, if you just shove Sherpa in there and do one, one training and go, it's never going to stick. What you have to, it has to be bred into your company. I mean, Everyone talks about it. I even hear, I even hear nurses talk about Sherpa or time in the selling zone. You know, my RDOs definitely do because they have the regional salesperson plugging in their ear, right. To say, well, the executive director isn't spending any time in the, in the selling zone. Now Mm -hmm. I get it has been a rough couple of years, right. COVID literally just emotionally and mentally just challenged people and it's it's still out there and and so i i definitely understand the executive directors not being able to be as dedicated in the selling zone uh just because of the staffing challenges that we face and and but uh if we can keep you know if we can keep plugging along and uh teaching you know our our sales people I mean, they're doing, uh, there's a training in, in Illinois tomorrow and Wednesday on prospect-centered selling. That's great. we all know it, right? So they're going to teach prospects, like make sure they really understand the basics of it. When, you know, as we've gotten larger, you know, you, you take on 17 new buildings, you have to try to get them kind of indoctrinated as soon as and yeah and train the trainer and 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 you got to get back in there though right yeah you you can do one training and then they come back and they're like yeah 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 then they just go back to their old behavior 100 percent. so you just got to continue to reinforce and and uh uh, get back in there and that's Uh, and that's that's a lot of work that's a lot of human resources yep and i think that's part of the reason 
that most people don't do it. A lot of organizations just say, well, you know, just give me somebody that's good with tours and let's put in as many leads as we can generate. And or they auto or auto populate your next step. And I'm like, how does he know what the next step is? On day seven, send this out and day nine, do this. And I'm like, you don't even know who the customer is. I always think about, okay, the the quotas and the, you know, make sure that there's enough activity because we don't trust salespeople to generate their own activity. You know, we talk about the selling zone having four buckets, right? It's the face-to-face, it's voice-to-voice, typically tours, uh, voice-to-voice, which is text, emails, you know, to your point, how are we spending our time? But the two other activities that are considered sales selling that most of the industry doesn't think about is planning, which is something that you have to do proactively, and creative follow-up, which is something else you have to do proactively. No one's saying, where's my creative follow-up? You know, no one's saying, hey, you didn't plan for me. I'm coming in for a tour and you haven't prepared. You know, they'll never tell you that. So it's, it's sales activity that you have to generate proactively. And a culture of person-centric, prospect-centered sales, that's sort of the neck that moves the head. If you have a strong culture of planning your next steps, and going deep, and also a strong culture of helping that person see themselves in in a creative follow-up, then the results will follow. Well, that's why we invested in in having a full-time sales coach. That's so cool. Tell me more about that. Because the regionals go in and, you know, they're managing 10 or 12 communities. You, You have someone new starting or someone who's struggling, you know, our sales coach can do those one-on-ones calls. Let's talk through this. Let's do a case study together, right? Mm-hmm. And really teach along the way. So it's, it's being reinforced versus the regional may not be able to get there as much, right? So there are, there are some communities that we're on that they're on weekly sales coaching calls. That is so fantastic. All, all sales coaching. Right. It helps them either, you know, either the person gets it or they don't. After a while, after all the coaching, they're either going to get it or they don't. But it's experiential, too. It goes back to the same thing when they're coached on something and they try it and then they get a really good result. They're pumped up and they're going to now do something different on the next sale. Right. They're going to do something different. So if you once you get them, to, they get that aha and they start to see the, the wins they get from it. Like I couldn't get in this person's home and all of a sudden now they can get in their home. Right. Mm-hmm. Where are they at with that? They just naturally they'll start doing it with other prospects. So, I mean, we invested and besides a regional sales team that we have, we invested in a full time sales coach. What word of advice would you have? I already asked you this question, but let's say that it's uh, you can talk to Jane back in when you started, before you had all these aha moments. You know, what would you tell Jane from what you know now? I would definitely say that you need to be open to new things. You know, we all say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, right? And getting the, the same result. If anyone is getting the same results and they're really not improving their conversions or, or their move-ins, be open. Be open to that. Even if you've been in sales, or I've been in sales almost my whole career and uh, prior to even assisted living. And to this day, I still learn and I see something different. And I go, wow, that's, that's, a, that's a great question to ask. So I think it's really about being open and then also doing the hard work around it to make it stick. Because if people just go, oh, it didn't work, you didn't mm-hmm. really do it enough to make it stick. Yeah. And, and, and I'm seeing companies that have changed, because I interview a lot of regional salespeople who have changed sales cultures away from prospect-centered selling because someone new came in and the whole culture of sales changes Mm -hmm. like this. So I suppose that whatever it is that the leaders believe will help them with sales or what they believe sales needs to be. 
that's what it's going to be. And if you believe in something else that will drive results by all means, just go all out oh. and try it. My word of caution is don't do it, pardon my French, half-assed. Don't try to cobble together something so that, you know, 10 magic pills. I'm a, an old dog in this industry, um, you know, been around a long time and I've tried many, many sales cultures. I've done spin selling. I've done, you know, other uh, consultant sales consultants with pre-prescribed questions. And this is the one that I felt I got, I've gotten the best results with. It's more organic. I think people end up enjoying their jobs more because they get to connect with people. That's why they're half of them are in sales. They like to connect with people so that this gives them permission to connect with people. That's amazing. Do you remember we were going to write a book uh, on sales? We were always laughing sort of facetiously and said uh, our book by Jane Salerson and Alex Fisher, the ultimate book of senior living sales. And then you're going to open up and it was going to have a phone. A phone. <laughs> we call phone. back. We actually call people. <laughs> we actually. And, and to me, that just sort of narrows down to like, you have to be motivated to be relentless until you solve the person's problem. Got to you earn have, your way off that hot board. You do. You, you got to earn them off that. <laughs> Jane, uh, I've abused of your time. This has been so enjoyable. I oh, but it's been good to catch up too. It has. <laughs> uh, would you come back some other time? Yeah. Uh, on some yeah. other topic, and, please. I, sure. Together, we can change the world for the better. Hopefully, <laughs> change the world. Hey. Change the world. Change well, the listen. world. Have a good one. Stay safe out there. You too, love. Um, you're right. my sister at heart. Take good <laughs> okay. care. Talk Bye-bye. to you soon. Bye-bye. I loved this discussion. I want to give a huge, huge thank you to Jane for coming on the show. She's super busy and she just took the time. And so I really appreciate it, Jane. You can learn more about her communities by visiting charterseniorliving.com. If you want to go deeper into prospect-centered selling, watch a webinar or read an article by visiting sherpacrm.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, stay heroic.